Welcome back to the Idiom Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. This week, Asher Postman sat down to chat on the Idiom Podcast. Asher's released music on labels such as Armada Music, and he's well known for his viral YouTube remix videos. You've likely come across a few of his videos before. His Walmart Yodeling Kid Trap remix has over 20 million plays on YouTube, and his Dubai is Lit Trap remix video has over 10 million views. I was excited to have Asher on the show because, you know, in a perfect world, you release music and fans flock towards you and your career takes off, but as for most people, that isn't the case and definitely wasn't for Asher Postman early on. He used his YouTube channel, filled with comedy videos and production tutorials, to grow his brand to get more ears on his music. Every artist project needs an entry point, and after years of failing at the SoundCloud game, Asher turned to Facebook and YouTube videos to jumpstart his growth. This worked pretty well for him, and now he's making a living off of music and releasing with top-tier labels. Given Asher Postman's unique entry into the music business, this episode is both insightful and refreshing. We start with Asher Postman's background, discussing the struggles and failures that he experienced early on. He talks about how he dealt with that early rejection and how he came to terms with the incredibly low odds there are to succeed as an artist. We then get into his inspiration for creating his first comedy video and how with a small following of just $7 in Facebook ads, that first video reached over a million views. We look at how he's able to grow from that first video to establishing a strong online presence and a core fan base that he could build a career out of. We also discuss the direction for his artist project and how his YouTube videos and his channel fit into his vision for the Asher Postman brand. This part will be incredibly helpful for anyone who's struggled to find their direction and niche in the music industry. Later on, we discuss how to stay both productive and sane on social media, tips for avoiding music burnout, and Asher's best advice for newer producers. One last thing, Asher Postman just released his VIP remix of his track Say, which is out now on Armada. I'll play you a preview of it as we slide into the interview, and be sure to check it out right after this episode is over. With that, let's wrap things up. Here's the Idiom Podcast with Asher Postman. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Asher Postman. Asher, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Not too bad. So to start, I'd love to learn a bit more about your background in music. There's a lot that I want to get into, but kind of talk about what initially got you into producing and into electronic music. I started playing piano when I was eight years old, about. And I was just kind of learning basic, easy songs that I liked. And I really, like, I grew up on, like, Christian punk rock, rock music. Not not EDM at all. Like, I didn't even know EDM existed. I was just, like, in this small bubble of music. So I, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, till I was 14, and then moved 45 minutes out of the city to Lake Odessa when I was 14. And I actually kind of discovered electronic music, like, just a year before we moved to the farm out in Lake Odessa. And the very first, like, electronic music I heard was, like, a ringtone on my brother's <laughs> flip phone. Yeah. It was, like, a... It was like a techno song. And I was just like, whoa, what the heck? This is like kind of cool. And at that point, I was like, I got my first uh, like Casio keyboard that had like a six track recorder on it. And I was just kind of like messing around with sounds and like recreating songs. And then I eventually got this uh, this big weighted keys keyboard that had 16 track recorder. And it was like made in the 80s. It used like a floppy disk to record the songs which was obviously way before my time, but like it was an old keyboard and I really liked it. So I made a techno song that was similar to that ringtone because <laughs> I thought it was sweet. And that was my very first song that I ever made. And I was just like, I was just so fascinated by electronic sounds. Um, and then one of my neighbor friends showed me Daft Punk. I think the song, you know, the song Derez from yeah. the Tron movie. So I heard that and I was like totally blown away by all like the cool like synths and stuff. I feel like so many people get into electronic music exactly with that experience. It's just something so freaking new that they can't even yeah. put a name on it. And I think like it's ironic that you got into electronic music from a ringtone, but it was just so different. Yeah. Like I remember for me, the first quote unquote electronic song I heard was Fatboy Slim's Praise You. 
And I was like in my garage listening to my brother's Walkman. And I thought the CD was like skipping because it just loops that praise you vocal. And I had like <laughs> no idea that you could just like loop a small, tiny section. And like the drum break was still playing in the background. So I should have noticed that. But it's like funny yeah. how foreign it is, especially when you grow up not having those experiences around you and that music around you. Absolutely. And that's still like what fascinates me with music in general is new sounds, just expanding what you hear. And so it's just, it makes sense that the first time I heard something electronic, it just like, it just made me feel like super excited about music. Yeah. So kind of go forward. You made your first techno song on that Casio keyboard. How did you get into production more in depth after that? Yeah. So I, I was just kind of like super into um, making tracks. And then my cousin showed me this program called Mixcraft 6, okay. which is like yeah. a, a cheaper DAW. Have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was making like these fun little songs on it and he showed me and he told me what program it was. So I ordered it online and mm. then I was completely fascinated like because I had all these tools like because before I was only making stuff on this 16 track keyboard and I only could use like stock sounds and just layer things like that. But with this program, like I could automate volume and like low pass. Like when I when I first like discovered low pass cutoff, <laughs> yeah. I was like amazed. And I like mm -hmm. it felt so cool to like take a sound and make it just sound like it was underwater and stuff. So at that point, my friend showed me Skrillex. So I heard Skrillex for the first time and it like it actually scared me at first when I heard it. <laughs> I heard like the um I might have been scary monsters and nice sprites or whatever. And so I was really fascinated by dubstep and all the crazy sounds. And so my first song that I made on the computer was a dubstep song. Okay. And so the reason I was able to make it is because they had a bunch of like samples in the sample library of like dubstep sounds. So I kind of just like mashed them together and made a beat and like just made like a weird dubstep so song. And it took me like three months to make because I was like, ever since I started making music, I, I've been like super particular and just yeah. spending a ton of time on something, which was interesting. But yeah, it was a dubstep song that I made first on the computer. So was your cousin the one that told you about Mixcraft? Was he teaching you at all? Or were you just kind of like left to your own to figure out how to produce a song? Um, I was kind of on my own. He was doing like metal, like fast metal rock stuff. Honestly, I'm kind of amazed that I was able to figure out that program because I don't think I saw any tutorials or anything. I just kind of just like, there might've been like a, a how-to section or something, but... Kind of just figured out. That's probably why it took me so long to make this song because I was like trying to figure out how to do stuff. I remember the first time I discovered sidechain compression. Mm -hmm. um, I knew what the sound was, but I didn't know how to do it. And yeah. so what I did was like on Mixcraft, you have to like add one point of automation for every like change you make. And so I would literally build like a ducking shape on the automation of the volume for every single time the kick drum hit. <sighs> So I was literally manually putting in automation for every single kick drum of the whole song. It and it took so me forever. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And so the first time like I discovered FL Studio and then I found out that you could like have it automatically duck, like my mind was completely blown. Yeah. Yeah. I was an idiot. <laughs> I mean, we were all there at some point. Um, <laughs> so kind of how old were you when you were making your first songs in Mixcraft? I was 15. So that was when I first moved to the farm. Okay. So kind of at that point, was music just like a hobby for you or did you have any earlier aspirations that this might be something bigger for you? Um, it's kind of weird. I've always been like way too confident in myself. And so okay. literally like when I made my techno song on my keyboard, I uploaded it to YouTube <laughs> and I was like fully expecting the next morning to wake up and see it at the top of like Yahoo News. <laughs> like young kid makes amazing like techno yeah. song. <laughs> like I literally like I was so convinced it was so good that that was going to happen. And so I was just kind of like super confident that the music I was going to make was going to be amazing. So I kind of just dove into it. At the early stages when that I'm guessing didn't happen, when you didn't make it on the front page of Yahoo or AOL back in the day, what was your response to it? That's a good question. I honestly, I, I just remained confident. I was just, I kept making songs and I was like super sure they were going to blow up. You're just kind of like, screw you. I'm I'm going to be able to do this. Like, doesn't matter what anyone else says. 100%. We've talked yeah. about that. And I've talked about that with a couple other podcast guests where it's so tough to make it in this industry. You kind of do have to have this like blissful, unawareness, naivety in order to trust yourself enough. 
because oh, yeah. the odds are so against you that you really have to be overly confident in yourself and also a little bit unaware in order to like go on long enough and to push yourself in your career long enough to get to the point where you're actually getting a response from fans. A thousand percent. Yes. Yeah. You have to like, cause the odds are like impossible and you, you have like, if you don't have that belief in yourself, you're not going to make it. And it's like a tough balance too. You don't want to be overly arrogant because you see those people that can't take any outside feedback, yeah. but you can't be so self-conscious that you don't push yourself because you have to, yeah. to some degree have to be like, I, I forgot who I was talking to about this with, but it's like having a controllable ego. Like you need a little bit of ego to make it in this industry, but knowing how to kind of rein that in and control it so that you're not in, I guess, a Kanye West. Yeah, that's so true. It's yeah, there's definitely a balance you have to have. So let's kind of go back to, you said you were 15, making those first dubstep songs. Kind of where did music go for you while you were in high school? So I just kept doing, actually, I discovered my brother sent me a remix contest that he found online. Um, my older brother's always been kind of like my A&R somehow, <laughs> even from the beginning. Um, he did, Yeah, he sent me um, a, a remix contest, and that was the okay. first time I heard that that was a thing. So I got like a vocal stem that just made me super excited. That was like the second song I ever made was a remix. Okay. And so honestly, I was still super confident. I was like, I'm going to win this one because I'm so amazing. And so that first contest, I didn't win, but I got like an honorable mention. Okay. And I was like, wow, that's, I was like super proud of that. Yeah. Um, and then from there I did, oh, I should probably also mention, um, mm -hmm. there was a point where like after I made my dubstep song, I was like into music, but like I wasn't totally sure about it. And then I heard a remix by Madian. Okay. It was Razor Weapon Remix. Yeah. And that song like legitimately blew my mind. Like absolutely. Yeah. And because I listened to it and all the sounds were like unreal, the way he mixed stuff and like all the choppy things. Mm -hmm. And like that instantly connected with me so hard. So that was the moment when like when I discovered Madian's music is when I like fully knew I wanted to do music. And so when I was doing these remixes, I was kind of like low-key just copying Maddie in a little bit. Because <laughs> that's kind of what you do when you start making music. Like, And that's yeah. fine to kind of just copy people because you got to eventually discover your own thing. But I just started doing um, remixes. There was like an ad on Spotify for a Matt and Kim remix on like um, some website. It's a really popular remix website. I can't remember what it's called. Um, so I started losing a few more remix competitions and... Uh, I lost one that I really thought I was going to win and it like kind of took a shot at my pride a lot. Yeah. And I almost wanted to give up. And then like I was super disappointed for some reason. And then as I was sitting there disappointed, I got an email for uh, another remix competition. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it one more shot. Like this is going to be my last one. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did my best. I made a remix for that one and I won it first place. Awesome which like was the biggest thing in my whole life at that point. What was the contest for? It was, um, it was a Christmas song, actually. <laughs> it, was <funny. laughs> it was like a Christian artist. Uh, it was Lincoln Brewster, like for Joy to the World. Okay. It's so random and so funny. But like the prizes were like $4,000 worth of stuff. So like for me as a beginning like musician, that like gave me such a boost yeah to feel confident and then people like because i always struggled too with people like not really believing in me because mm -hmm. like when you tell people you want to pursue music they're like oh whatever like he's not gonna make it because no one makes it but like when that happened i kind of had like people started like seeing that i could actually do something it's always really important for building on your self-confidence especially at like the more intermediate to advanced stages of production because it's easy to really doubt yourself, but when you have those tiny wins that you can hang your hat on, those really help. Because I think even yeah. if you're you know, a professional, you can still have those doubts. So it's good to be able to be like, hey, you were able to do it with this song or with this contest. So you belong yeah. in this space. So it's really important to like try to find those wins and to build off of them and also to look back and remember them because those will help you moving forward. Yeah, totally. Because like when you're a musician, at least in my experience, it's kind of a roller coaster of believing in yourself and yeah. thinking that you kind of suck even even like when you're at the level that i'm at now like i still struggle with that sometimes so yeah. it's always good to like have reminders that you're doing pretty good and that you've you've done some things um that are notable so kind of talk about what the next steps were for you after winning that remix contest 
Well, I thought that was like it for me. Like I, I was like, all right, I made it big. Like yeah. <laughs> people are going to start like bringing me out to shows and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that didn't happen. So that was a huge, like at that point when I won it, it was like a huge confidence boost. But then honestly, for the like, I would almost say the next two years, nothing notable happened in my career. Like I, at that point, I was like trying to build my SoundCloud because I was posting all my remixes there, getting like super stoked if it got like over 50 plays and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Man, those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just like building my SoundCloud and just like wanting it to blow up. But I remember getting really frustrated, especially. So I can't remember how old I was when I won the competition, but um, I graduated high school and I decided not to go to college and just to pursue music. Okay. And I think so like the year after that, like nothing really happened. I was making songs and putting them on SoundCloud and posting them on Facebook and they would get like eight likes and mm-hmm. like 20 plays. And it was just so deflating for so long. It actually, it, lost, it lasted a long time. Like there was a long period where I was just making stuff and making stuff and it just, nothing was happening with it. How were you like feeling during that time? Did you ever have like stronger doubts that maybe you should have gone back to college or that this isn't going to work out? I I think a little bit. I had a little bit of that, but just there's something in me that like, I just really believed that it was going to work out eventually. So like I said, even now, like it's a roller coaster being an artist, but so it definitely was that then. And there was some like way lower points. I've never like legit struggled with depression or anything, but like there was some times where I was just kind of feeling a little bit depressed about my music and just because like nothing was happening with it. How were your parents and friends viewing you and your music kind of during that gap year period where really not a lot was happening in terms of your growth with music? Um, They were pretty supportive. I mean, it definitely, like my dad has always been like 100% supportive and my mom like had to get on board a little bit because like she kind of had to see that there was some promise before like super getting behind me, like not going to college and everything. Which is understandable. Um, Yeah, totally. Um, but I proved her wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. And my friends were always like really supportive. Like that's kind of a big thing too. My friends and mostly my brothers and sisters, super, super supportive. That's another reason why I believed in myself so much is because every time I made a song, they would be like, their mind would be blown about it. They would think that it's amazing that I made that. Yeah. And so I had that confidence from my family and friends, which really, really helped push me along. So you're kind of in this gap year, whatever you want to call it, after high school. When did things start to build for you and your, for your career? Okay, so there actually was a very specific moment. Um, I kept doing the SoundCloud thing and it wasn't working. And so I started noticing on Facebook, there were some videos of these guys like remixing like The Simpsons or Donald Trump saying something yeah, and turning it into a song. And so I was like super intrigued by that. And so I was just kind of like thinking about ideas that I could try to make like funny sketch videos out of, out of music Mm -hmm. and memes and stuff. Um, And also a bit of background when I was younger, like before I discovered music, I was really into making like videos like most kids do. Yeah. And I wanted to be a YouTuber like Julian Smith or something Mm -hmm. and just make comedy sketches. Um, So like from a young age, I kind of wanted to be a YouTuber. Yeah. And I thought I was funny. Looking back at my videos, they were super stupid, like most kids. But yeah. So I kind of had that background of, of making videos. And so uh, at the time, I can't remember what year this was. might have been 2016. The song Middle by DJ Snake was really big on the radio. Yeah, and so I was listening to it on the radio one day, and I was like, oh, my gosh, the lead in that drop kind of sounds like a bird. <laughs> and so, like... The other, the next day, like I was in the living room, I was like, mom, what, what does this sound like? What kind of bird does this sound like? And she was like, oh, it kind of sounds like a peacock. (laughs) And so I went on YouTube, I searched peacock call and I heard the call of the peacock from the video Yeah, and it sounded exactly like the song to me. So pretty much what you're saying is you can, you owe your entire career to your mom's familiarity with different bird calls. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And it's it's funny too, because my mom is like, very, very like educated on nature and plants and all that kind of stuff. So it's really fitting. Um, so like all my siblings were in the room too. And I was like, guys, this is hilarious. I'm going to make a video about this song sounding like a peacock. And everybody was like on their phones and stuff. They're like, oh yeah, cool, man, <laughs> whatever. I was like, no guys, seriously, I'm going to go do it. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Um, so I went to the basement and I downloaded the audio 
And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is so perfect. Like I had the Peacock call and I like put it in FL Studio and added some effects to it. And I recreate, I was super into recreating songs ever since the beginning of producing. That was kind of one of the ways that I learned how to produce. Mm -hmm. And so I recreated the track and then I threw the Peacock call in and it was perfect. And so I made a funny little sketch about it. I uploaded it on Facebook. I put like some hashtags and some like emojis to make it look like what I see from other viral videos, like how they're captioned and everything. Yeah. And then I just like, I threw like probably $7 on it for promotion so that some people would see it. And at the time I had probably like 200 Facebook likes or something. So the video started taking off and I was getting so, so excited. And then I was like, my brother was like, dude, what if it got a million views? Like that's our dream since childhood to get a million views. And so a week later, it ended up reaching a million views on Facebook, which was absolutely wild to me. Yeah. And it's funny too, like for some reason it was the Philippines, like somehow (laughs) in the Philippines, people loved that, that video. And so I got like 2000 likes on my Facebook just from that video blowing up on Facebook. So what was your next thought once that kind of happened? I got to do more videos like this. Yeah. So I uploaded it on YouTube as well. Um, it didn't, it didn't blow up on YouTube, but it slowly climbed and got some more views there. So kind of from there, did you have like a bigger plan for growing more of this video content? Kind of talk about once that seed was kind of planted in your head, like, Hey, I can do these kind of funny music production videos. And one of them got a lot of play. So what was your kind of next thought with that? Yeah, I kind of got lucky because that was my first ever like comedy video. So my first video went viral. Yeah. Um, I was totally like, okay, I need to come up with more ideas. So I made a few more. I made one like where I remixed the the ringtone of an iPhone. Okay. Um, and then that one didn't blow up. It got like, it got a decent amount of views though. Some people liked it. Cause I kind of just, I figured out like a strategy of how, like I realized how my video went viral, the hashtags that I used and the caption and where I targeted the audience, like that all worked. So I just kind of tried repeating that. Kind of talk about that. Um, Cause I think there's a lot of people that do kind of these comedy viral music videos, but not all of them are that successful. So if you don't mind sharing kind of what those things were for you, and I'm sure that's changed over time as well for you. Yeah, totally. So I think I kind of got lucky where I jumped on the bandwagon before it was like a thing. There was only, I think the only guys that were doing it were Bombs Away and Mashton Kutcher. Those were the guys that I saw doing remix videos. And so I think there was, there was just like, I kind of got on it before everybody else did. And so these days, I'm sure it is a lot harder. It's even hard for me still to, to make a viral video with memes. Yeah. But definitely like you have to look into mostly like look into what other people did and what worked for them because the little things definitely matter. Like I think the way that I captioned my first viral video was like how DJ Snake made the middle dot 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 and then like a fire emoji and a crying laugh emoji. And it's just like that's the kind of stuff that people were reacting to on Facebook. And cuz like the intention span is everything nowadays. Like everything. And so you have to grab people's attention. And also the way that I filmed the video mattered so much too. Like you have to grab someone's attention right from the beginning and hold it and keep changing it and keeping them interested. Otherwise they're going to click away because there's so, so much content on the internet. So that's the number one thing of making a viral video is like you have to get them to click on it and then you have to keep their attention at least for the first 10 seconds. Otherwise they're not going to watch what you have going on. So kind of moving back, talk about, uh, we just talked about like the marketing that you did with those initial videos. Talk about what your next steps were for growing your Facebook and your YouTube and how that kind of blew up to the point to where it is now. Yeah, this is, this is a super important part of my career Mm -hmm. because like I was saying in SoundCloud, I was getting like 20 plays Yeah, and that was nothing. And I, I just kind of assumed like making great music would make you get followers and stuff, but that just wasn't the case at all. And so I realized, even though most of these people that were liking my page from my viral videos, most of them wouldn't care about my music. I was like, at least it's somebody. Yeah. Like I'm now getting like thousands of plays on my SoundCloud and like the numbers, like if I get a million people to watch my video, a very, 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 very small number of them are going to actually check out my actual music, but that's still somebody. 
And that matters so much at the beginning of your career is just getting anybody to care about what you do. Well, it's better than the 50 views that you said you were getting on SoundCloud. Yeah. Yeah. So I never, I never wanted my videos to be what I do, but it just became really apparent to me that that's going to be the way that I stand out from other people. So the goal for the most part has always been have this content that points back and brings attention on my music. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's still my strategy is like, if I can get millions of people, if I'm lucky to see something that I made, even at the end of the day, if they just see my name and see my logo, that's an absolute win. I love that. And I think it's really important because everybody needs an entry point into your artist project. Unless your music is truly, truly exceptional, you need something that's going to get people in. And for you, for a lot of people, that is going to be your YouTube channel and kind of your comedy videos. And if that brings people into your music, awesome. However they get there and if they like it and they're a fan, that's great. And I think Dylan Francis, I would say, is kind of in a similar space. Um, I think it comes really naturally to him, just all of those comedy videos. And he's been doing that for as long as he's been releasing music. And I think that's just an entry point. It builds his brand, but at the end of the day, he's still able to promote, share, and play off of his music. Yeah, totally. It it works for some people. I was always super confused when... I really liked artists and they were doing well. I was like, there was no evidence of how they got where they were. Yeah. So that was a bit confusing to me. And I kind of felt like I was cheating and like I was less of an artist by, by using viral content. I mean, I'm learning now that it's not like, that's totally a viable thing. So I was listening to a podcast, uh, about the chain smokers yesterday, actually, and talking about their song selfie. And that was their first breakout hit that got them famous. And it was a song that they didn't even like. It was just kind of a joke and it wasn't their style. But that was like the same kind of thing where they have this massive hit that's like getting people's eyes on them. And most of the people ended up not liking their other stuff, but still like you're getting people to notice you. And that's so important Yeah. because even if it's 1% of everyone, that's still awesome that you got people that you didn't have before caring about your music. It's kind of like this idea of like, not 100% true, but there's no such thing as bad publicity. Obviously there is, but just getting eyes on you, as long as you're not being controversial or an asshole, like getting eyes on you with music is something. Like look at, like I doubt Carnage's followers went down when he did the Way More Louder video. Like I'm sure they went up because people were talking about him and got more eyes on his music. And even though it was quote unquote bad press, Still got people talking about him and I'm sure his numbers went up because more people were, you know, talking and hashtagging him. Yeah. And that's the thing, like back in the day, the way that you got famous or recognized as an artist was so much different. And nowadays it's just so clear that there's way, way, way too much music coming out and too much content coming out every day that you're just going to get lost. Even if your stuff, like, even if you're amazing, it still takes some luck to, if someone finds your music and that rarely happens. Like you got to find some way to get somebody to notice you. That's how you get past the initial like bottom level of being an artist. I think that's crucial. I think I get a lot of producers that are kind of launching their career asking me questions about what to post on social media and all these different things. And if you don't have anything interesting to share, it's going to be really tough for you to grow your brand and connect with people. Because no matter how good your music is, unless it's at a truly groundbreaking level, which 99.99% of people, it isn't. Like I said, you have to have that entry point. There has to be something that you're bringing to the table beyond your artist project. And you might not like that, but that's the current space that we're in, at least in the electronic music industry and pretty much any music scene right now. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of artists that have examples like that, like San Holo and his, his remix of like... Oh, Don't Touch the Classics. Yeah, those blew up on Trap Nation, and that's what got him recognized. Um, I think how Maddian got big was from his pop culture video on YouTube, the Launchpad video. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like it's almost the way you got to do it is capture attention somehow. And I think with all of those examples and kind of looping you in with your comedy videos, all of those are kind of a launching slash stepping off point for your music. Like Madion did the pop culture mashup and then he was like, okay, I'm doing no more launchpad videos. I'm just focused on my artist project with like, I don't know if that was the idea with San Holo, but at this point in time, people don't necessarily remember him for the, like, don't touch the classics remixes, like the Dr. Dre next episode that he did. They remember Uh him for maybe his, uh, I forgot the name of his first EP, um, rise or something like that. And then obviously all the music and albums after. 
So just having that first totally. foot in the door and then doing what you want with it is something that plenty of artists do. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of something that that was a concern for me for a bit. Like I was worried that I was going to get pigeonholed into being a YouTuber artist or a meme remixer. Yeah. And I never wanted that to be my thing. Like I always wanted to be an artist and like I was hoping that I could have a Maddian moment and post one viral video and then have my career blow up. But that didn't happen just because like the more that time progresses, the more and more difficult it is, even with a viral video to stand out from people. So I still had to do quite a few more videos and I'm still doing them every once in a while just to continue to get more eyes on me and have people care about my music. So kind of with that, at this point in time, what is your goal or focus with your YouTube channel? I definitely focused hard on my YouTube after my video Dubai was lit. That's the one that the first like real viral one, that one has like 10 million views today. It's classic. Um, yeah, that's, that's the one that like everybody remembers me by. So that was the video that really launched everything. That's how my managers found me. That's how, um, some other artists started talking to me and like, it just kind of legitimized my career quite a bit. At that point, I decided I wanted to do tutorials as well because I liked learning on YouTube, but I realized that there were a lot of like crappy tutorials and there were some things that I searched that I just could not find any answers on. So I decided it would be like, since I have people's attention anyway, I could start making tutorials and see if people care about them. And I started making a few. I made one about mastering just because mastering, I remember when I first wanted to learn how to master, it was just so daunting and I couldn't figure out how to do it anywhere. And even like the articles and tutorials didn't help me at all. So I was like, I want to make a, a tutorial that's just super basic and simple that people can understand. And so I made that one and it did super, super well. And so I just kind of kept doing tutorials and then every once in a while doing a meme remix. So kind of that mix in my YouTube channel just kept growing the subscribers up and up from there. So that's been like intentional having just enough of those more meme remixes to keep the growth up, but still having that really high quality content in terms of the tutorials to kind of keep that core fan base um, just engaged. Absolutely. Yeah. Basically my, my viral videos are like ads, <laughs> like billboard ads. Yeah. It, like, it gets eyes on me and on my channel. And then a small percentage of those giant numbers will either turn into people who love my channel or produce music or people who ideally love my music, my original music. And that's still, to this day, that's my kind of goal with my YouTube channel. Yeah, I want you to kind of like talk about more how your own personal artist project fits into the space and what your goals with that. Because I think a lot of people, and I'm sure some of the people listening to this podcast might unfortunately just know you from some of those videos. So kind of what yeah. is your end goal with your artist project right now? You've kind of made it clear that the you know entire enterprise is focused towards your music and getting people on your music, but kind of talk more about that from your perspective. Yeah, that's that's always been, ever since I started my YouTube channel, that's been my goal is to get people to care about my music just because that's what matters to me the most. Yeah. And there was a time where I wasn't really sure if I wanted to be an artist or just a producer for other people. Yeah. But over the last few years, I've just kind of discovered finally the feeling of owning my art and making it my own and telling my own stories through lyrics and all that kind of stuff. Um, how good that feels and how necessary that is for my career. I love producing music for other artists and doing all sorts of music endeavors, but being an artist, there's something really special about that. And so I've always just really wanted me people to jump on that bag bandwagon and just care about what I'm doing and then hopefully be able to play shows and stuff. Yeah. So I'm, I haven't put out very much music cause I'm super picky and I'm still working through learning how to, um, create good music that I'm proud of in a timely manner. Yeah. Um, but really the goal is to be able to support myself full time just on artist stuff. Like I'm, I'm doing music full time now. Um, but it's because I do a wide variety of different stuff that bring in revenue. And my artist project is probably the least amount of money that I'm making. So I want to be like, I just want to be a real artist that, that people like will come out to a show to see because they care about my music. Mm -hmm. And that's still something I'm working towards because YouTube is still the thing that people know me by. Yeah. Even artists like Charlie Puth started as a YouTuber and people hardly even know that he was a YouTuber anymore. So that's kind of my goal. Like, it's not that I want people to forget that I was a YouTuber, 
because um, that's I do care about that and I care about my subscribers and I love to teach them and stuff. But my end goal is to eventually be like known as an artist and be able to like maybe headline my own tour and all that kind of stuff. Totally. And I think that's a very understandable goal. Like the seems like the YouTube content and project is very fun for you, but that's not the end all for what you want for Asher Postman in music. Yeah, totally. I mean, if I wanted YouTube to be, I would put way more effort into it because my subscribers know like I don't post as often as I could. It's because I'm working on my own music at the same time and there's only so much time I have to to work on my channel and also work on my artist project. So kind of going back to your artist project, I want to talk more about that. Starting this year, you started releasing with Armada. Talk about how that relationship came about. Yeah. Um, so after Dubai was lit, my manager reached out to me, my now manager, and he worked with me for like a year, not as my manager, just kind of helping me out and helping me navigate like where to go and all that stuff. Eventually, um, we brought on um, his friend, who's now my other manager. And so they, I visited them every once in a while in New York. They're based out of New York. Um, and we just, we were talking about like future releases and all that kind of stuff. And I had released a few songs at that point, just independent by myself. I started working with a good friend of mine, Annalisa Franklin, who's, um, she's on a couple of my songs. And so at the time we were making the song Say that recently came out. Um, and I was super excited about it. It was sounding really fresh to me and something that I was really could get behind. And so we were just kind of shopping around what the options were, me and my managers, just figuring out whether we should go indie or try to get a label to pick it up. So they have some good connections with people. So they were sending it to... Um, actually, I was working with Desero as well because he co-produced the song with me. And he sent it off to Monster Cat. And Monster Cat was super into it. They wanted to um, sign it, but we wanted to get a couple other options just to see what would be the best um, option for that song. And so my managers had the contact with Armada and they sent them the song and they absolutely loved it. And so we just kind of went back and forth trying to negotiate what was the best home for the song. And I eventually uh, went to New York and met at the Armada office. And um, it was cool because when I got there, uh, Michael, who's one of the co-heads of, of Armada, happened to be in the office. He's usually in, I think, Amsterdam. And he was there and he met me and he was super into the song. I played him some music and it was just a really cool experience because everybody really liked the song and they liked what I was doing. And so from there, we discussed a contract. And so that's kind of how that came about. So how important do you feel it was for you to get that release on like a highly reputable label when previously you've kind of just been doing self-releasing and been really on your own up until that point? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I, I was doing YouTube and doing my own thing. And I think just having a release on a major label legitimized what I do a lot more to my subscribers. Yeah. Cause I'm just this, this random guy teaching them based on, the music that I make, which I mean, they liked the quality of my music. That's why they like my tutorials. But I think having a release on a legitimate label like that gives me a lot more credibility and a lot more trust to my subscribers to like take seriously what I teach them. Honestly, like as a career, I mean, as a an artist, it like you want to get eyes on you, but also like you kind of want to prove yourself to your audience so that they're going to want to stick around. Yeah. And so any type of way that you can show that you're legitimate and that you're something that's worth following, that's always a huge win. How was that for your confidence as an artist to be able to have um, at least the interest from Monster Cat, then obviously to get the release on Armada? Yeah, I mean, it was really good. It was, it's definitely, it makes me feel like I'm on the right track because when you're starting from zero as an artist, you just really want to prove yourself and you want to like know that you can actually do it. And having a release like that and having like label heads and all sorts of people tell you that they think you have something special. It's just a really good confidence boost to just keep going. So I want to go back to something you said earlier. You are now full-time with music. What does your kind of daily schedule look like with managing your artist project and the YouTube content and really anything else that you're doing related to music? Um, for the first like six months, it was really, really hard for me because it is totally, totally its own skill learning how to manage your time. 
when you don't have a boss and everything. So I remember it was really tough at first, but a big thing for me was having a notepad by my desk and writing down the things that I wanted to accomplish in that day. Yeah. And being able to like physically cross them off. Otherwise, I learned that if I don't have anything set to accomplish in a day, I can easily just work and work and work and feel like I didn't do enough. And then at the end of the day, you kind of feel like you're not doing enough. And that's just a crappy feeling. And so having like a list that you can cross off. Also, creating a list is a skill to have too, because you don't want to fill it up with a lot of things that that don't matter. I remember posting my list once on, on my Instagram, and it was really long. It had a bunch of things on it. And someone sent me a message and they were like, hey, I heard somewhere that like there's a difference between being busy and being productive. And so you should have like a shorter list. And at first I was like, wow, you're going to just go ahead and tell me what to do. But then I was like, wait, actually, I kind of feel like yeah, that's kind of true. So that changed the way that I made lists too. I was like more specific and making sure that really important things were on there. And then, yeah, lists have been super, super helpful for me, just being able to cross things off and make sure I'm using my time wisely. Also, a very, very, very important thing is learning how to manage your phone mm-hmm. and not being distracted by that. Yeah, That was something that took me a long time to learn too, was like going on Instagram and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. It really does eat up so, so much of your time. And most of it, like there's definitely a use for Instagram and everything, but you have to learn how to manage that. Otherwise, it's going gonna, it's gonna to waste your time. I'm sure that you get a good amount of interactions, especially on YouTube, but I'm sure on Instagram as well. How do you deal with the fact that you kind of need to be on social media to a point, but also understanding there's a certain limit where you need to just cut it off so that you can be more productive on music and video content? Yeah, social media is so, so important and it's a huge part of my job. And so there definitely is, I do need to be spending time on it. It's just, you have to be honest with yourself and realize like, am I scrolling through for 30 minutes and not actually doing something productive or am I actually like using this for what it should be used for? Yeah. And one thing that I started doing a little bit was like setting a timer for like five minutes on my phone and then going on and then making sure I get everything done so that by the time like the timer goes off, I have to get off. Otherwise, it's so easy to just like get lost and be scrolling through and all that kind of stuff. I think a huge thing is like the whatever the newish iOS update with the time limits. And I'm sure Android, you can just download an app that lets you do this, but with like restrictions for the amount of hours that you have. So I know a lot of artists will just have like an hour on Instagram a day and that's all they get. So if they want to mess around, if they want to, you know, respond to comments and stuff, they can do that. But it's only, you know, they're capped at an hour. And I think that's crucial to just put those restraints because if you can't just do it without, have something in place. Yeah, that's super, super smart. Also, I I have uh, the restrictions on my phone till 1 p.m. every day. And so unless I'm posting on Instagram, I'll just try to stay off social media completely so that the beginning of my day can just be focused on producing. I like that. I, I would say I'm like definitely more of a morning producer too. And the more that I can just get that gunk away from me as long as possible, the better. It's so, so, so important because everybody almost everyone is on social media and it's just designed to get you hooked. And most of what you do is not valuable to you. And so if you really want to make it as an artist or an entrepreneur or anything, like you have to prioritize your time and wasting time on social media is a huge problem. So it's definitely worth taking some time to figure out how to manage that. A follow-up question that I wanted to ask is, you've got a lot going on that you need to focus on with your career in terms of your own music, your YouTube content, your subscribers, fans, marketing, managers, all these things. What do you do outside of music as kind of like a hobby or creative outlet and or slash is there things or are there things that you do to kind of give yourself some distance from music every once in a while? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, there was a time where I, or there, there are certain seasons where I'll work too hard and that usually ends up burning me out and making me less creative. And so I've learned that it's actually really smart to be intentional about allowing yourself to do other things. Um, One thing that's been a a huge staple for me is going to the gym. I used to do it at night, but not only is it good for your body and your mind, it also like gives you a sense of accomplishment. It helps you feel less lazy too. Totally. So that's been really, really important for me. Um, other than that, I try to kind of be open as much as I can to if friends want to hang out to actually do that. Um, cause 
I value my life beyond just my career. And so having fun and doing things with people is a huge part of my life. So it's easy to kind of just get sucked into your career and make it your whole entire life, especially as a musician. It's so easy to just make like your whole life be about music and how successful you are. But it's become really apparent just from hearing other artist stories, especially like really big artists. It's so empty when you put everything into your career. And even when you accomplish the biggest things ever, there's still like, there's so much more to life than that. Yeah, just a few things I do is like I play hockey and I'll go out and longboard, especially like during the sunset hours. It's so beautiful to just kind of get outside. Um, just little things like that. Yeah. I like asking guests about that because I think there's this idea that your favorite artists don't have that because to an extent that's the image that a lot of them portray on social media, totally. which is like the grind hustle 24 seven. And for the most part, most of them aren't doing that. Most of them have something else. And if they are doing that 24 seven, they're going to you know likely burn out and they're not being as productive. That's a big thing with social media too. It's like you, you see people's lives on social media and you kind of construct an idea of what their life is like and think that your life has to be like that. I know that was a really big struggle for me for a long time. I didn't know how artists made it as an artist and I just kind of based all my knowledge on what their posts look like. And that's just a really easy way to be unhappy and feel like you're not enough. Yeah. So yeah, I like even I know that some artists have really given me a lot of hope. Like one of my favorite artists is Gray. Yeah. Their production is insane and like mm. I just really look up to the way they make music. And I just noticed on their social media they post about them going rock climbing and like exploring the wilderness and yeah. going on hikes and all this kind of stuff. And one time they posted a quote that said, sometimes the the amount of time you spend away from your song could be more important than this, the time you spend on it. Yeah. And just kind of like realizing once you become good enough at music to create something great and you're not in the stage of, of like learning how to make music anymore, there has to be a point where you understand that great music comes out of experiences and um, enjoying life. And that's when your best art is going to be made. And so seeing artists like them who make unreal music, like go out and have fun is, is just really like inspiring to me. Like you need that type of contrast and those unique and distinct inputs. And yeah, I think, I don't know, like, I feel like that gets, it does get so lost in the current age of production especially when people are very tech focused and like both you and myself do a lot of educational tutorials. So we're guilty with it, but it's really important to tie all those things back into what you want to create or what you want to say with music. Like you look at, yeah. um, Flume's first album, I think it was called Flume. Um, he like made that just like traveling around Europe, going through different hostels, just like hiking and backpacking and just like making music on his laptop. And there's something to be said about that. Something to be said about just like getting outside of your comfort zone, doing something new, getting these new experiences, and then channeling that into your music. And I think a lot of people neglect that because of that idea that you, you know, do have to work your ass off to be good in this career, like we talked about at the very start, but you have to be efficient and smart about it. And doing 14 hour days and not talking to anyone that isn't a producer, in my opinion, and it seems like yours too, isn't necessarily the healthiest uh, approach. Yeah, totally. I think one thing that I really discovered in my career was it did take a lot of years for me to be good enough at music and make stuff that competes. And I think that's a really important stage if you have to grind and you have to put a lot of work into that. Obviously, don't kill yourself doing that. Still enjoy life. But once you get to the point where you, you're able to make great music, then it kind of switches and it becomes not like how much time can you put into music? It's like, how can I make this genuine and come out of a, like a joyful place in inside of me? And that comes from enjoying life and being happy making music and not from like banging your head on the desk for 14 hours trying to like compete with Martin Garrix, you know? Because <laughs> I mean, if you look at like even Martin Garrix as an example, like if you watch his vlogs on YouTube, the dude has so much fun. And he just loves his life. And that like that just brings great music. So kind of like another question that I want to ask is, given everything that we've talked about so far, what do you feel like is the most challenging thing that you face as an artist right now? Oh, that's a good question. It's always kind of been, well, I'm kind of getting out of this now. I had a, a really long period where after I got good enough at music, I realized I didn't really know what felt right to me and what felt like it was a true Astro Postman song. 
And so everything I was making, like it was sounding amazing, but I just like didn't feel it because I was trying to be like other artists and all that kind of stuff. And that was just a really hard season yeah. to be in. It was it was a long time. That's why I haven't released that much music is because I just wasn't really feeling like it was coming from a place that was really me. I've kind of, I'm finally starting to get out of that and I'm starting to make music that really finally feels like it's something that I can bring that's just me and it's not me trying to be like gray or Zed or something. So that's always been a really hard thing for me was like making songs that were original and also... I'm learning too how to make songs faster. That's always been a really big struggle for me is taking way too long on a song. What do you feel like helped you do that? I think just growing as a person and as an artist and experiencing life. Like you really like since I started when I was 15, I've been growing so much as a person and understanding how life works. And just the more that I see, like even moving here to Nashville, like seeing how many other people are doing yeah. music, kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning was having like, you got to have a confidence in yourself, but you also have to have a little bit of the realistic, like, Hey, this is kind of impossible to try to make it as an artist. And so the more I grow as a person and like a, a little bit more realistic about what it's going to take for me to make it, that's just kind of influencing the way that I choose to prioritize my time and, um, the kind of music that I'm making and just kind of motivating myself to, to get things done a bit faster. So we've got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast. What type of advice would you give them to give them the best chance of success in music moving forward? Yeah, I guess kind of to reiterate what I talked about earlier, um, you got to stand out somehow. I mean, actually, I should back up a little bit. It's going to take some time. It's going to take a lot of time to make music that is good enough that you should be promoting. And you have to believe in yourself that you can get there and you have to work really hard at it. And definitely keep the bar pretty high. Like you want to get to that level of the artist that you listen to, the sound quality, but it just takes time. There's no magic like YouTube video that'll teach you. You just have to keep keep working at it, keep experimenting. And then once your music is like pretty good, you can't get beat down when you're not getting anywhere because you you really like in this day and age, it's just so apparent that you have to get cut through the noise somehow and find some unique way to to get people to listen to you in the first place. To kind of wrap things up, what's going to be coming up for you in the next three to six months? Yeah, so I have, um, I have some new things coming out as an artist. At this point, I've only been a producer artist featuring other people. Um, but in the last year, I've started to write my own songs and work on singing a bit. And so I'm going to start releasing a few songs that I've been holding on to for a bit this upcoming year. But then after that, I'm planning on starting to um, explore the world of releasing songs that I sing and produce and write myself. So that's going to be kind of a new thing for me. All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap things up for this episode. You can all find Asher Postman's music and his YouTube channel in the description of this episode. So definitely go give that a listen as this podcast is just about over. Asher, it's been great chatting with you and appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to this podcast since like the beginning, so it was just so cool to be on here. Awesome, man. Love it.